them. But let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's see if we can finish this in time to sing a few more songs before we go home. Ephesians chapter 5, the importance of singing. The importance of singing. I want to read a sentence to you here that begins with verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. A long, beautiful, descriptive sentence about a spirit-filled church. They're moved by the Spirit in verse 18. It results in them singing with melody in their hearts in verse 19. They're always giving thanks in verse 20. And they're unified in verse 21 by agreeing with one another. A Spirit-filled church, which we crave by expositional preaching in the Gospel of John and in Acts 2, sings like verse 19 tells us to sing. We're presently studying John 15, and one way of abiding in Christ is to embrace singing about Christ. It's his chosen vehicle. We recently had a mirth feast last Sunday evening in a new venue with great acoustics, and the singing had a terrific sound. And some of those passerbyers out there on Main Street stopped to come to the front door and listen to the sound that was coming out of that room. Some that sat in tables where they could see that door saw that take place. Our annual week-long singing camp for children and youth starts tomorrow with near 100 participants in those coming to camp as campers and those teachers and volunteers helping them. Though we reject... The use of musical instruments in worship in New Testament assemblies by New Testament order, we do love singing. Amen. God created it. Listen to the definition of the verb sing and think about it. I'll try to read it slowly. It'll, it's a number of words. Sing. To articulate or utter words or sounds in succession with musical inflections or modulations of the voice so as to produce an, in, an effect entirely different from that of ordinary speech. Specifically, to do so in a skilled manner as the result of training and practice. I want to read it again. Sing. To articulate or utter words or sounds in succession with musical inflections or modulations of the voice, so as to produce an effect entirely different from that of ordinary speech, specifically to do so in a skilled manner as the result of training and practice. That is the authoritative definition of the word saying, the verb saying, in the English language. God created singing. God created singing by creating vocal cords, tongue, and lips for speaking or singing. Not evolution, not fate. Right, right. Our God, Jehovah, the one we just sang about. Right. 
God created singing as much as he created language. Where did God create all the languages? But at the Tower of Babel, where he confounded the languages of men so that they spoke differently and could not understand each other. I want you to turn to Isaiah 28. It doesn't, rela- it doesn't have anything to do directly with singing, but I want to remind you that Adam was not a caveman that had to figure stuff out. God gave him innate wisdom to know things. He did not see a ball rolling down the hill and say, hey, cool, I'll invent a wheel. God gave him that, and God denied that wisdom to other nations. They had wagons and organs and brass and artificers in brass way back in Genesis chapter 4. But look at Isaiah 28. It's about farming. And I want to, I haven't used this text in a while, and I want you to remember that it's in the Bible as to why men know things and why other men don't know things. It's by the grace of God. Where did farming come from? Trial and error? Impossible. You'd be dead. Because if the berries were enough to keep you alive, why would you farm? If your, if your boomerang was good enough, you wouldn't farm. Unless it was put in you innately to understand farming. And here we go. Isaiah 28, verse 23. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. This is God addressing Israel and the world. Isaiah 28, verse 24. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fitches? and scatter the cumin, and cast in the principal wheat, and the appointed barley, and the rye in their place? For his God doth instruct him to discretion, and doth teach him. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin. But the fitches are beaten out with a staff, and the cumin with a rod. Bread corn is bruised, because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Farming, knowing what to put in the ground and what to do to the ground before you put anything in the ground, and once it comes up, what to do with it so that you have a usable product, and how each grain requires a different process for it to turn it into usable food items, is all taught by God. And you ask me, why do some nations not know anything about it? Because he deprived it of that. He deprived that wisdom from them. Just like he deprived the ostrich of intelligence. And the Bible says so. He gave the ostrich other gifts, like speed, the speed of a horse. But she has no wisdom. She lays her eggs in the sand and steps on them. And the Bible tells us, I decided not to give her a brain, not even a bird brain. And we use the expression bird brain. That's why ostriches are stupid. They have other gifts. And the Lord in the book of Job directs us to look at ostriches and see what they do have that he gave them. They don't have what a peacock has. Oh, who wants to look at the backside of an ostrich? But a peacock is beautiful. The Lord made all those differences. The Lord made this difference. And I'm using this as an example of how he put in man what, what grains go in the ground, what to do with the ground, and how to process them when they come out to remind you 
that God ordained singing. He created it. He created these vocal cords and the ability to sing. And the first song in the Bible that's recorded is the song of Moses. And the last song in the Bible is the song of Moses in Revelation chapter 15. The world uses music heavily because Satan always apes God in what he does. It's found in most sinful venues. Like most things, the world and men have corrupted the original intent of music for sinful ends. The Lord made man upright, but he has sought out many inventions by corrupting what God created. As in marriage, God made one woman, Eve, for Adam. They invented polygamy in Genesis chapter 4. They've sought out many inventions by not being content with how God made things. If God created it, faithful creatures will seek God's will for music and submit to it. Singing extends beyond the worship of God, as the Song of Solomon clearly shows us. God ordained it. God created it. God ordained it. If we didn't have vocal cords, tongue, and lips, and are able to make those modulations in tone and and inflections of musical tone, we wouldn't be able to sing. God gave us all those abilities, and he wants it used for his honor and glory. And we'll get to more of that. But he ordained the use of music and the use of singing, in this case, in the New Testament. Singing is a New Testament ordinance. What is an ordinance? Something God has commanded us to do. Specifically, something God has ordained that we should do. God has ordained that we should walk in certain things, and one of the things he wants us to do is sing, so it is an ordinance. Anything God has ordained for us to do is an ordinance. Singing is a New Testament ordinance as much as water baptism or the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. Why would I bring that up? Because I want to save you from Roman Catholic Protestant thinking. The reason Roman Catholics have seven sacraments. Protestants say they have two sacraments. Baptists that are ignorant come along and say, well, we only have two sacraments too. And then somebody will slap them. You shouldn't use the word sacrament. So they'll say, we have two ordinances. No, we don't have two ordinances. Everything God wants us to do is an ordinance. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of ordinances. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm picky about the language is we don't want to back up through the Protestants to the Catholics to that sacramental thing that there's certain ordinances that convey grace because none of them convey grace. And all of them convey grace. Does baptism convey grace in a practical way? Yes. Does does the Lord's Supper convey grace in a practical way? Is there a gracious way of participating in it and doing it that brings honor and glory to God, that benefits our souls? Yes, practically. And so does singing. Paul instructed the churches in two epistles to sing congregationally like we have. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, where we were, and we read that apostolic ordinance from the Apostle Paul's pen by Tychicus that we should sing. Since you're there now and you can see verse 19, let's look at it again. Speaking to yourselves. That's something we do as a congregation. We do to each other. We do. You're singing and teaching all of us. And all of us are singing and teaching you as we'll get in the next verse. In Colossians, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Now, singing requires a melody. Singing requires a tune 
because it is the utterance of words with musical inflections in the voice. But it also says making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we want to, when we sing, we want it to be coming from our heart of love for God in Christ and what he's done for us. And then it comes out. Singing always requires a tune. But we want the tune starting here with love for Christ. And love of his grace in our lives. Let's come over to Colossians chapter 3 and see the corresponding verse there that the Apostle Paul also wrote. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We want the gospel of Jesus Christ filling us, teaching and admonishing one another. This singing is for each other. We benefit too. We benefit by hearing it. We benefit by doing it. It's mutually, it's mutually profitable for us to sing. Teaching and admonishing one another one-on-one, and there's thousands of one-on-one relationships in this room, we are singing and teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So there's grace in our hearts. It was melody in our hearts in Ephesians chapter 5. It starts with a love of God's grace and a love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it flows through our lips to each other to teach and admonish one another in the rudiments of our religion and to convey the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to each other. It's an ordinance of heaven for us as a local church in the New Testament. God, as our creator, father, and judge, has all the insight and authority to dictate the use of music in the church especially. He ordained it, and we obey his written rules. We don't add to his rules, subtract from them, turn to the left or turn to the right. We want to do exactly what he said. We do not care about market studies. A market study, by definition, is what can we do in our church to attract reprobates? Because they go and measure worldlings by surveys. Saddleback community. How did they pick their music? Every person was given a three-by-five card. Write down the... This is way back when they got rolling. Everybody write down the call letters of the station that you listen to. They collected all those and found out there wasn't anybody listening to organ music. Nobody was listening to choir music. They were listening to rock and roll. Well, that's the music we need here because music is for you. No, our music is for the Lord and to do it his way. And so they went to rock and roll music. That's called seeker-sensitive religion. And the people that they're trying to reach are not seeking anything but pleasure and lust. Right. So they want music that's, listen, that is their choice of terms, seeker-sensitive. It doesn't make any sense. I can't explain it. They can't explain it. But they want to be sensitive to felt needs of the community. But the Bible doesn't say one thing about us ever doing anything in our church to satisfy the felt needs of anyone outside our church. It's for us, and it's for the Lord, by His Spirit, inside these walls. So they have rock and roll music, and they have spent enormous amounts of money to make sure that every single spot in that room has 97 to 105 decibels when they 
produce their music. He has told hundreds of thousands of pastors to get rid of their old-fashioned music, their old-fashioned instruments, and to have rock and roll music and to play it loud. He tells the pastors sometimes, you can go find all of this online about Rick Warren and Saddleback Community Church. He tells pastors, get the music as loud as you can possibly stand it and then turn it up. Because you, at your age, do not understand what this younger generation wants to hear. Now, as far as I'm concerned in this church, when we sing about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can turn it up. Amen. Because I love to hear your voices expressing the passion, expressing the passion of your souls. We don't want to screech in here just to make a loud screeching noise. That's not really singing. Right. That's screaming. Mm-hmm. We want to sing. And we want to sing loud as we'll get to in a minute because that's one of the things God said about it. He ordained it so we obey his rules. If God ordained it, we do not neglect it. If God ordained singing and he ordained singing, I just showed you the two verses and there's more verses. Let's go look at the more verses. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. We sing by the Spirit, we sing with the understanding, because we worship in spirit and in truth, and that is our internal spirit. That's a small s. That's our spirit. Our religion is internal. It's mental. It's spiritual. It's our spirit engaged in the Spirit of God, spirit and truth. We obey the right way according to his written rules, and it's an internal religion, rather than an external religion of rituals, relics, altars, places, instruments, stuff. It's inside. Notice both singing verses we've had so far. The melody and the grace starts inside. That's what I'm trying to say to you. We'll sing with the Spirit, and we'll sing by the Spirit's leading, and we will sing with the understanding. Paul said, so did David say the same thing in Psalm 47, 7, but hopefully we can get to that in a minute. If God ordained it, we're not going to neglect singing, we're not going to resent singing, and we're not going to minimize singing as a necessary evil. I have heard Baptist preachers of the primitive Baptist variety say that singing was a necessary evil. It isn't a necessary evil. It's an absolute necessity, and it's good. Because to have a New Testament church, we need to sing. If God ordained it, then it serves a very useful purpose to him in heaven and to men on earth. Proper singing is a matter of revelation, which we can only know by reading the Bible. And we've just read the Bible about it in the New Testament. God likes it. God likes singing. If God likes something, what should that do to you? You should love it and want to give him what he likes. God would not have created singing and then ordained it unless it brings him delight. And that should get you worked up. If God likes something, what do you want to do about it? Do it over the top. David was always over the top. He danced with all his might. What would you you as a king have done? Well, I'd have buttoned my fancy robe. And I would have walked slowly behind the Ark of the Covenant. Showing the dignity of my great office as king. Over Israel. Well, that wasn't David. And so you can choose your way. We're going to choose David's way because David was God's praise and worship leader in the Bible. 
and he took off his fancy robes. His wife didn't like it because she was from the wrong family. And don't you, in this church, don't you resent the people that sing every song we pick with 200 people. Do you know how many opinions there are about that song? 220. Because by the time we get to the end, 10 of you that didn't like it now like it, and 10 of you that thought you liked it now don't like it. That's what happens. Remember that. Every song that's picked, we know. And we are the song leaders and your pastor. We know that some of you don't like it. We're sorry for you. Because we're going to sing it, that's why it was picked. Just remember that, because we're all different. You know, we didn't give you one menu for the Mirth Feast last Sunday night because we're different. This is important to remember. We do not want to be like Michael. We do not want to be like Saul's daughter, and we end up being like Saul's daughter when we despise anyone in here for singing. We will try to maintain some order to our singing. We will not let it go crazy in this church, not while I'm your pastor. There are limits. But once in a while, I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone. And depending on who I'm talking to right now, I'm out there with you. Okay? Everybody should know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I could probably sing Crown Him with Many Crowns each service, each Sunday, from now until I die. Then sing it twice. Um, I'm an old-fashioned, hymn-hearing, hymn-trained man. And I love exalting the praise of God. Spiritual songs don't light me up as much. But we're going to sing spiritual songs. We sang one today, and we need them. And we will sing them. Why will we sing them? Because God said to sing them. God liked David. Does the Bible say that God liked David? The Bible says God liked David. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 4. He must have liked David's great passion. What was David's great passion? Musical instrumentation, lyrics, and construction of orchestras and choirs. All of it. David did all of it. David was the ultimate musician. He was not limited by any inability in any part of music. And the Bible tells us about all aspects of David in inventing instruments, getting men trained how to use them, coordinating the courses of those men to make sure that there was live music in the tabernacle and the temple 24-7. He would get 120 trumpeteers making one sound. That is not by accident. That is training. And he would tell them to lift up their voice, the singers, because he wanted it loud. And he is the man after God's own heart, and Jesus is the son of David. Since God likes singing, we want to do it as he defined it, and to do it with passion. Think of the Ark of the Covenant. Saul never moved it. How long was Saul king of Israel? Forty years. Did the Ark of the Covenant move while Saul was king of Israel? No, never moved it. He was a profane man. He did not care about the worship of God. 
as soon as David is king, what's he doing? Move the Ark of the Covenant. Should I invite a few people? Yeah, 30,000 princes of Israel. He invited 30,000 princes of Israel, and they came together, and he danced with all his might to move the Ark of the Covenant and was singing and praising God. It's, it's phenomenal to read about it. It's wonderful to read about it. We want to be like David. Saul ignored it. David went above and beyond for it. How will you sing? How will you assist and encourage passionate singing for God in our church since God wants it and Jesus Christ wants it? And it's, an, it's part of apostolic religion. A praise band is not apostolic religion. We don't have performers, except we're all performing. We don't have a choir, except we're all a choir. We don't have a praise band because we're all a praise band. And we make the melody in our hearts and then with our vocal cords, lips, and tongue. God filled the temple with his presence when the music reached Max. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I like Max. I hope you like Max. And that's not Philip and Amy's dog. It's maximum volume. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. This is not a complicated subject. We want to rejoice in what God's given us and told us. We don't have a minister of music in our church because you're all ministers of music. Right. You know, they have ordained positions called ministers of music, ministers of humor, all kinds of positions. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Don't ask me how I know about the humor one. The ark is being brought into the tabernacle. Second Chronicles 5.11. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place. No, this is the temple of Solomon. Forgive me. This is the temple of Solomon. Second Chronicles 5. Solomon is copying his father's enthusiasm for music. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place of the temple, Solomon's temple, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. They were all there. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them, of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Amen. The enthusiastic, all-out, musical presentation of worship done by these Levites, by David's order and David's instruments, which you can read in other places, blessed God's heart, so he filled the house with his presence. And we want him to fill this house with his presence. We want him to delight in our singing. Singing. 
There is no playing in the New Testament. My mother was an exceptional player. I grew up with playing in the house of God for New Testament church Baptist assemblies. I played my saxophone for him, sort of like the little drummer boy. But it was wrong. There's nothing like, "'Twas with an everlasting love coming out of 200 throats about our eternal union with Jesus Christ to get me worked up in love for Jesus Christ and God's electing grace in our lives. It's wonderful. If you dislike singing or despise godly singing, you're like Michael. You're a descendant of Saul. You don't belong in any church, especially our church. Let's not have anybody that thinks that way. I don't like all the songs we sing. I'm not going to publish the songs I don't like list. (laughs) I'm going to sing and you won't know. It's just the way it is. We all have little differences that way. You know, I like these words, but I just don't like this tune. Well, write a tune for it and we'll try it. There's all kinds of thoughts that go through your minds, but did you notice one thing here about a three-letter word? O-N-E. One. We're united. And the Lord wants praise from one mouth, one heart, and one mind. First Corinthians 1, Romans chapter 15 says it in both places. David sang, Though supremely gifted in many ways, the man after God's own heart was a musician. Now there's not many musicians like David. Most men who are full-time musicians are fairies. It's just a known fact. They all know it. We all know it. David was anything like that. If If you're killing bears and lions and giants in your spare time, it's okay if you like to play the piano as well. There's nothing wrong with playing the piano. Full time, fine artists that are male are not normal. Ordinarily, there are exceptions. I will not tell you of the experience in this city, in a place that prides itself on its fine arts and what that section of the student body was like. David kept sheep. David knew how to put whole armies to flight. He knew how to run through troops and leap over walls. He was a man's man. And so was the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're not in John's version of his last night with his apostles, but we're in Matthew or we're in Mark, he sung a hymn with his apostles and went out. The son of David sang a hymn with those 11 men, then went out. We want to be like both of those men. If you want to be like David, you'll love singing because David loves singing. David exalted congregational worship, so we should embrace any church singing that we do. We meet David David with a harp. That's when we first encounter David. He was a skilled musician. That's how they found him. And he died as Israel's sweet psalmist, 2 Samuel 23. From his beginning to his end, David was, and certainly as part of worship, David loved singing. 
Look at 2 Chronicles 29. 2 Chronicles 29. This is 340 years after David. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. This is the life of Hezekiah. And I want verse 25 through 30. I want you to see David's influence 340 years later. 2 Chronicles 29, 25. This is Hezekiah. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps. According to the commandment of according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by the pro- his prophets. David's my man. What David invented, what David ordered, I want you to do it. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. And the Levites stood with the instruments of the instruments of David. David invented those instruments 340 years earlier. And the priests with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped. And the singers sang. And the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Wow! David! No wonder Jesus is called the son of David. Because David loved to worship God. And Jesus loved to worship God and glorify God. That was his purpose in life. That was David's choice of a purpose in life. If we turn over to 2 Chronicles 35, we can move another 100 years into the future. Now we're 440 years after David. 2 Chronicles 35, and it's King Josiah. Verse 15. And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the commandment of David, Nasaph, and Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the porters waited at every gate. They might not depart from their service, for their brethren, the Levites, prepared for them. They had food brought to them so they could just keep right on worshiping and praising the Lord. David sang. You bet he sang. He wrote lyrics, staffed choirs, and made instruments. And the Bible has many references about these works of David in music and praise to God under the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 47. Let's see some of David's own words about singing. Psalm 47 and verse 6. Psalm 47, 6. If you had an English teacher reviewing this particular verse, you would get an R on it for redundant, unnecessary repetition. The problem is God inspired this verse, so I like it just the way it is. Psalm 47, 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. That's David. Do you get the message? For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Had David gone beyond just the noise? Had David gone just beyond the modulation around words? Sing it with understanding. He did not want just making noise. It was not just a game to him to sing a melody. He didn't care how complicated the melody was or how simple the melody was because he wanted it sung with understanding 
Notes are not understood. Words are understood. Lyrics are understood. So there's no difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in what real singing involves. It's mentally comprehending what you're singing and what you're hearing. Because there's praise and admonition and doctrine being conveyed. That's Psalm 47. Look at Psalm 92. Psalm 92 and the first verse. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. That verse tells us it is a good thing to sing praises to God's name as the Most High God. No wonder we have it in the New Testament because it's a good thing to do it. And so we want to do it. We want to do it well. Psalm 104 in verse 33. I feel so badly right now. Is there anyone in here that loves all songs equally? Okay, I'm still among friends. We don't love all songs equally. They're all different. They're different in their lyrical content. And they're different in their melody. Psalm 104 and verse 33. I will sing unto the Lord once in a while. I will sing of the Lord when I'm young and at singing camp. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Who would write words like that? David. Look at that verse. That verse should move you, grip you, convict you, convince you that we want to have a singing church and we do have a singing church. Can we make our singing church a little better of a singing church? That's why we're having singing camp tomorrow. Right. We want it to be a little bit better. Lord, help us to accomplish that goal for your great honor and glory. Amen. I love that verse we just read. Look at Psalm 146. I'm 61 years old now, and I don't love singing any less. I probably love it more than I ever have. Psalm, Psalm 146 in verse 2. Amen. While I live, will I praise the Lord? I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Very similar words to the previous verse. But it's a warning and a, re- and a recommendation and a, an indication to us of what David was like and we want to be that way. Look at Psalm 18. Yes, Psalm 18 is right up there in the top five of David's psalms. It's in the Bible twice. It's 50 verses long. David wrote it after he had defeated all his enemies and it is filled indeed with praise of God. Psalm 18 and verse 49. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. This is part of Psalm 18. It's also in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It's in the Bible twice. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Now come over to Romans chapter 15, and let's find out that the Apostle Paul said, We fulfill that verse of Psalm 18, because we are the Heathen, we are the heathen. We're the Gentiles that didn't worship the Lord Jehovah. We worshiped everything but. Romans 15 and verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. We get to be like David and we get to follow David's prophecy as Gentiles by singing in the New Testament church, Romans 15, 9. 
Jesus sang. I just told you about that. There are testamental differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament limits our music to singing. The Old Testament had playing. God knows all about playing. He had David, his man, invent all kinds of instruments for playing in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament religion was outward. It was sensual. It only worked on the ear, not on the mind. A trumpet doesn't help the mind. The Old Testament, incense, works on the nose. It's a sensual religion. We don't have anything in here working on your nose except some of your cologne. But we don't bring any of it religiously. But the Old Testament worked on your nose. They had beautiful decorations. They had marble and granite, and wood, and gold, and silver-covered objects, and carvings for the eyes. But the New Testament isn't like that. It's in the heart, and it's in the mind, and an instrument doesn't reach either. Oh, an instrument will reach me. Give me five seconds of the who, and I will not be standing still. You say, why are you playing guessing games with us by saying who? Don't worry about it. If that's what you're thinking, then I'll just leave that illustration alone. Rock and roll music will move your body. But it's not moving your mind, and it's not moving your heart except toward lust. Because it's moving your body, and your body says, all my heartfelt lusts I would like to fulfill right now. Testamental differences. So we reject Old Testament playing verses because that was only for God's church in a state of carnal infancy. When you need to go to church and see incense and see stained glass and smell incense and hear an organ, you are an infant because you're not relating to God as a spirit with your mind and your heart. You're relating to him through noise, smell, stink, sight, That is in our religion. So there's testamental differences. The Old Testament was ritualistic. It was ceremonial. It involved your senses. We reject that playing stuff for back there, just like we reject their animal sacrifices. If you're going to go back to the Old Testament and say, well, you like David so much. David liked instruments. We should like instruments. Well, David liked offering bullocks on on altars, and so I want to be with you this afternoon. When you find a bullock, it may take a while, and then kill it on an altar. We can't go to the Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. So we sing. We do not chant, rap, beat drums or pews, slap legs, dance or mime. We sing. The New Testament, you say, why do we ever go to the Old Testament? You've shown us some verses from the Old Testament about singing. Well, the New Testament says sing. Why can't I go to the Old Testament and look up the verses about singing? I should. Because... The New Testament, when it gives us mandates, does not always fill in the details. The details are to be found in the Old Testament. The New Testament is very brief on some subjects. Child training. How brief is it? Here we go. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How should I do it? Just memorize Ephesians 6.4. It's good enough. That would be foolish. Where does the role of the Old Testament come in? 
God tells me to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the Old Testament tells me how to do it. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So I need to reprove them. What's this rod thing? You wouldn't know the rod thing if you didn't have the Old Testament. Are there any verses in Proverbs about the rod thing? Lots. Enough for my father to know that's what I needed. That's my brother saying that. <laughs> this is important for us. Right. You'll meet with people that'll say you're crazy. The Bible's full of musical instruments. Mm-hmm. Old Testament. We don't offer bullocks either on altars, do you? And so hopefully they get the point. If they don't, walk away from them because they're scorners and fools. Right. If they don't get the point from that simple little comparison. But then they'll say, why do you refer to the Old Testament to raise some of the verses about David singing? Because the New Testament says sing, and where do I get the details? Go to the Old Testament. There's no details about child training. You have to go to the Old Testament. There's no details about financial goals. Where are the details for financial goals? Old Testament. Where are the details about the marital bed? The New Testament mentions the marital bed, Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable law, and the bed, the bed, the bed is undefiled, but what do you do in the bed? Well, there's a book of the Bible for that. The New Testament teaches giving, but it doesn't tell anything about the tithe. There's no tithe required in the New Testament. Where do we get the tithe? We get the tithe under the law of Moses. We get the tithe before the law of Moses, practiced by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The New Testament description is what we've just read in those three passages. Singing follows being filled with the Spirit, and it's in opposition to drunkenness. Singing is, if you're full of the Spirit, singing is a natural outlet of being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit and you don't like to sing, you need to ask, what spirit am I filled with? Right. Or what habit, what tradition do I have that has twisted me so that I'm not responding to the Spirit of God like I should be? And correct your ways. Right. It is congregational, for we speak to ourselves in Ephesians, and we teach and admonish one, one, one member at a time, Another member at a time. We speak and teach one-on-one -on -one relationship. And there's thousands of those in this room. So when we sing, Mark, I'm singing to you, brother. Make sure you sing back just as loud. We're singing to each other. Because if Mark and I and the rest of you in these one-on-one -on -one relationships were to leave, there wouldn't be any noise in here. It's all one-on-one. -on -one. And it is, it is a congregational community thing that we do as a body, and it's, it's beautiful. It's the way, and he wants us to sing as one. Then God gets the benefit of the 200 of us singing with one voice. To God, we're all benefiting from each other, and the Lord's benefiting. He chose this. I like it. I want you to like it with me. I want you to like it more. You say, you've preached on this before. I know I've preached on it before. I could have gone on further in John 15. I'm ready to roll. Are you ready to roll? But I want this because I want us to be better. There's so much emphasis by Rick Warren, Joel, and others on their praise band, their acoustics, and their, their amplification of their music. We want to emphasize the things we should emphasize. Amen. It's, it is speaking. The Bible says singing is speaking in the sense that we communicate revealed doctrine among ourselves. 
we do three kinds of singing. David's psalms. David wrote the psalms. Hymns, which are songs of worship directed to God. And spiritual songs, which aren't hymns. They're not directed to God. They're about the Christian life. Singing, those are the three. That's why we have three hymnals. We have a Psalter to sing psalms. We have a Primitive Baptist hymnal to sing spiritual songs in general. And we have a Presbyterian hymnal, the Trinity hymnal, to sing hymns of praise. Singing has a melody or tune made vocally, but we also have a melody in our hearts. I'm just reading down what we should have picked up from those three verses. Therefore, we must choose to excite and move our hearts to produce a melody there first. We need to come into this house prepared to sing. It is not just, oh, the organ started. Oh, they started singing. I better join in with them. We want to come prepared. I can't wait till the singing starts and I get to worship the way the Lord wants me to worship. Singing requires a choice to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom. We want the gospel of Jesus Christ filling our hearts and filling our minds, and those make the best singers in God's opinion. We choose to exalt God's grace in our hearts, to move us to worship him this way. Singing, among other things as well, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus to God Jehovah. That's in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Singing must include understanding for our internal religion that we have in the New Testament. So, singing is a skill to be trained. We emphasize lyrics and heart melody, but it is a skill to be trained. No one is born knowing how to sing. Children are born knowing how to scream. But they're not born how to sing. That's a learned behavior. Just like talking. How do they learn to talk? By listening to mommy and daddy. Oh, and some of the stuff they have to listen to, the poor things, for the first six months of their lives. Goo goo gaga. Goo goo gaga. You know, (laughs) there's so much more that could be said. But you know, if we sang more at home, you know what those little children will learn how to do very fast? Oh, yes. Noah, you want to get up here and demonstrate it? He said no. It's learned, so we have a singing camp. Does the Bible tell us to have a singing camp? Nope. It tells us to sing. Does it tell us to have a hymnal? Nope. Does it tell us to have three hymnals? Nope. Why do we have three hymnals? Why do we have any hymnal? Why haven't we memorized all these songs at home so that we do not pollute the church of God with a book called a hymnal? Because that's an aid to fulfilling God's commandments. If we added an electric guitar, that would be an addition because it wouldn't be singing, it would be playing. But a hymnal helps us sing and it does not alter the fact that we're still singing. It just helps us do it. Singing is a learned skill. So the fact that we're supposed to sing means outside of these assemblies we should be practicing our singing. And that's what singing camp is for, is to practice singing and to learn how to sing. And we all did it in school when we didn't have singing camps. And you should be thankful for those first courses you took where you saw that thing called an xylophone and you just wanted to get up there with your own hammer and sound. Remember the scale? Those those little simple things, the scale... And you hear that 
C being repeated here and here, and you get on the piano. I think, I think there's a connection there. You know, it's vague, but I think there's a connection there between two C's of different octaves. We learned it. Right. You look at that music around the words, and you say, I don't know what any of that means. Well, that's your fault. That's not our fault. You could come to singing camp. Anyone's welcome at singing camp. We want to learn how to sing. We want to do it well. We want to do it with passion. I hope I've, I'm keeping the proper balance. It starts right here. David's all started right here. That's what gets a robe off a king and causes him to dance with all his might. He's filled with passion. The Old Testament illustrates it for us. Look at Psalm 33. Help me finish. Psalm 33. So that we can sing two or three or more songs and go home. Psalm 33, look at this verse by David. Verse 3, sing unto him a new song. So we try to expand our repertoire a little bit. Some in here don't think we expand very much. Some think we expand too much. But we need a new song every now and then because it's creative worship. I want you to think of three words. Creativity toward God. It's a new song. Are there new songs sung in heaven? Oh yeah, go to Revelation 5 and that was a new song. Never sung before in heaven when Jesus Christ arrived and took the book of the everlasting covenant out of the hand of Almighty God. Amen. Psalm 33, 3. Sing unto him, so it's about singing, a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Now we have already seen, that says play skillfully, so David wanted it done skillfully and David wanted it done loudly, but those two Adjective adverbs are modifying the word play instead of the word sing. So we would go to the other places like I already read to you about them lifting up with one voice at one time, that's skill, and then lifting up their voice is volume. So he wants it done skillfully, he wants it done loud, and he wants it done creatively with a new song from time to time, which singing camp also helps us do as a church. We live in the perilous times of the last days. Paul warned of pleasure lovers rejecting sound doctrine for entertainment and fables. So they go to a nightclub act in a church, and they think that it's church with a nightclub, performers up there, scantily clad girls singing away with lyrics and musical compositions that are sensual. Who's ever watched a little babe from Australia sing Oceans? Maybe the most popular song in the entire Christian world. I want us to be different, right. opposing them Amen. by what we sing here. That girl has no more knowledge of the truth of the Bible than a squirrel. She has shaved, who in here has a, you've grown out too much. She has shaved her head. She looks like a cue ball. There isn't even fuzz. Just like Cynthia O'Connor of the rock and roll world. Rebelling against authority in the name of Jesus. With all that instrumentation around her and all the lights on her, 
She's a performer that the Bible knows nothing about at all. You are the performers in our church. You are the ministers of music. You're the praise band. You're the choir. When we sing to each other, Lord, help us do that. I don't need to tell you any more about Rick Warren. It's not worth talking about. Practical value. Music has been called the language of the soul. Music is said to be the language of the soul. It can affect a person below the mind. We want to be very careful about that because we want our music to be affecting our minds and our minds directing our music because we want to sing by faith. It's rhythm. will get the body moving without any conscious thought of doing so. It can lead to emotional reactions very quickly without mental processing to do so. You'll just react. You can watch little children do it. Get a little, get a little child and stand him in front of a uh, loudspeaker with rock and roll music and tell me how many seconds it takes before his body's moving. Has he thought about moving his body? Has she thought about moving her body? No. So we want to be careful about that. I want to do honor right now to the Baptist brethren, the German Baptist brethren, and I know I've sent a clip out from them of them singing Arise My Soul Arise and most of you wouldn't be able to handle it but they slow all their music down to where bodily rhythm is impossible and I respect them for that. I'm not saying we have to do it that way because I kind of like Arise My Soul Arise a little faster but they slow it down to where there's no movement of the body because they, they, they're, they're afraid of that. We want to be afraid of it. Because that's not our goal, to move our bodies. It's to move our minds and our hearts. And they're already prepared before we start. We want to communicate to each other how much we love the Lord Jesus Christ and how much we believe sound doctrine and how much we want our praise to get all the way to heaven by Him looking upon us and delighting in our worship of Him by song. Remember, David once played his harp to heal Saul from devils. Rock and roll musicians play their music to destroy souls by devils. There's so much research done on that subject, it's unquestionable. And I am living proof of it at that point in my life. The world uses music almost constantly now to feed its anarchic and lascivious lusts. Those in this church with sinful past will testify that rock and roll played a big part. It's one of the five inputs that we want to guard very carefully in our lives. Godly singing and music will lift your spirits by coming in your ear holes like Saul. There's King Saul, seven foot six inches tall. David, he's, he's got devils in him. David is God's favorite on earth. And he's playing his harp. And it's going in the two ear holes of Saul. And it comforts him. And the spirits leave because they don't like being around David playing his music in the Old Testament. Right. It's so opposite today. They go to rock concerts and they're blasting. People are wearing these headsets now all the time to drive the devil's music in the two holes that are audio-based. Do, do you think about it? Everywhere you go, they're plugged in. It's on their, it's on their watches now. It's on their smartphones. 10,000, 40,000 songs of worldly blasphemous lyrics. We want to be different. Think scripturally about the real effect of congregational singing to visitors among us. We expect our doctrine, our practice of baptism, and our Lord's Supper to affect them. We should also expect them to appreciate God's musical ordinance. So let's sing well. Jesus taught visible love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love you have one to another. Paul 
Paul said, all men are going to know your orderly praise. When someone comes in, and if you're speaking in another language, they can't understand you, they will not know when to say amen. Right. He, he governed 1 Corinthians 14 by rules so that we would not be like barbarians. And singing without skill is like being barbarians. So we want to do it well. We're not going to overdo it. We're not going to overkill. But we want to do it well. It should be impressive when people come in, they can hear passion of volume, creativity of singing, skill of singing, and wonderful words like "'Twas with an everlasting love." I'm just using that as an example. Philip Morrow. I wrote you about him recently, just a little tidbit. Philip Morrow. We have a number of his books on our shelves that we give away. That man who argued curse cases before the Supreme Court of the United States, that man was grabbed on a sidewalk in the city of New York by a church singing, and he went in and sat down, and it changed his life. The music didn't regenerate him. We don't know when he was regenerated, and I don't care. It's the, mu it's the singing. It wasn't the world's music. It was singing, and he wanted to go in and find out more about people singing congregationally. I can remember when I was newly married, Sherry and I, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, 10.30 on Sunday nights, WCKY, out of Cincinnati, Ohio, 300 miles away, AM dial, very weak. We would, we would fine-tune that little knob and get our ears up next to it because to pull an AM station 300 miles is hard. And there would be the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church singing, When thou my righteous judge shall come, shall I among them stand and, with, and finish up every single time with shouts of sovereign grace. Right. I cannot tell you how much that meant to a rock and roll freak who lived on it for years in his rebellion. Rachel, you were there, don't you remember? Oh, you were only a month old. We would look at each other. There's no instruments. There's one voice. With shouts of sovereign grace. That's what we want the effect to have when people visit us. Let's make some efforts to improve our singing for God. Let's not say it's a necessary evil. It's a cop-out to describe your singing as a joyful noise. What if I got up and told you that some Sunday? I'm just going to make a joyful noise today. We work at what we present in the church and for the Lord's sake, and we want to do it well. The joyful noise verses in the Bible are generally or entirely for playing instruments. It's not a cop-out for, I don't know how to sing and I don't really care about learning. You can get better. Think about it while we're singing. Let's, let's do it as unto the Lord. And let's do it with passion like... David did. More could be said. Maybe less should have been said, but enough was said. Let's sing, a, a, let's sing three songs and go home. Eric, it's all in your hands now. <laughs>